You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Back in the early days of the church, King Herod was trying to persecute the Christian community. He arrested the apostle James, had him actually put to death, the first of the apostles to be martyred for his faith. This is in Acts chapter 12. And when he saw that he got a nice reception from the public for that action, he arrested Peter as well, intending to do the same thing to him. But the Passover was near, the Passover holiday, so he just put Peter in prison and he intended right after the Passover to bring him out before the people and do to him what he had done to James. He had four squads of soldiers guarding Peter while he was in prison. Now, the very night, I should say this before we go there, the text in Acts 12 tells us this, but earnest prayer was being made to God for him by the church. The very night before Peter was to be brought out, he was sleeping in prison. I probably wouldn't have been sleeping, but he was. He was sleeping between two guards, and he had two chains around him. There were other sentries at the door guarding the prison. And during the night, an angel came, and a light shone in the cell, and the angel hit him on the side and said, Wake up, get up quickly, Peter. And he woke up and the angel said, Now uh, get dressed, put your sandals on, and follow me. So as Peter did that, he's getting ready to leave. The angel said, "Uh, Don't forget your cloak, it's cold outside. So Peter wraps his cloak around him and he starts following this angel. The chains fell off by by themselves. They go past the first guard. They go past the second guard. And then as they come to the iron gate of the city, the gate opens by itself and the angel starts leading them down the street. Now Peter thought all this was a vision. He'd had dreams and visions before. But but all of a sudden he's standing there in the street. He says, whoa, this is real. And so he headed on to Mary's house. Mary, the mother of John Mark, uh, Mark of gospel fame. 
there at, at Mary's house, people were praying. A bunch of people were there praying. And as Peter gets to the house, he knocks on the door of the gate outside, and a servant girl named Rhoda goes to the gate. And when she hears Peter's voice, she's so excited that she forgets to open the gate. She goes back in and tells everybody, Hey, Peter's, Peter's outside at the gate. <laughs> no, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. He's, he's in prison. And she, no, really. No, really. I, I heard his voice at the gate. And so, well, must have been his angel. You know, um, but meantime, Peter's still knocking. And when they go and they open the gate and they let Peter in, they're all amazed. And he tells them how the Lord had delivered him out of prison. There is great power in consistent intercessory prayer. We're going to see something about prayer this morning. But before we do that, I want to just ask you a couple of questions just to think about. And the first question is this. Who are the intercessors in your life? I mean, who, who are the go-to people? When, when, when you have a, a really burning prayer need, who are the first ones you're going to call? If you can't think of any, get some. Okay? Get some. You could start with some people in your life group. Because your prayer support team is more valuable than any bonus you'll ever receive at work. Second question is this. Who is it that calls on you as an intercessor? If no one comes to mind, you may just be missing out on a fabulous ministry opportunity. We often think of the Apostle Paul as a great gospel preacher, and so he was. But you need to know that he was also a great gospel prayer. He was a great intercessor. Even a casual reader of the New Testament has to be struck by how different Paul's prayers are to the ones we generally hear today. Prayers for comfort in loss, healing in sickness, provision in lack, all of those are important. But they're really secondary things. And if they comprise the vast majority of our intercessory prayer, then we are focusing on alleviating symptoms rather than administering the cure. This biblical model of intercessory prayer that we have here in the text that we read in Colossians 1 does does tell us how we can actually pray the gospel for ourselves and for other people. That's what we need to to be praying. We, like Paul, need to pray for gospel inflow and gospel overflow, both in our lives and in the lives of other Christians. Pray for fuller gospel inflow. If you're taking notes, that's the first big point. And there's only two, okay? Pray for fuller gospel 
inflow. Filled with the knowledge of His will is the Apostle's expression. But Paul here isn't uh, referring to the will of God in the practical sense of guidance, like, like questions of whom should I marry or what career should I pursue. But the ensuing context shows that, that His will refers to everything that God has done for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In short, the gospel. He's wanting you, he's wanting them to know the gospel better, to understand the gospel better. The word for knowledge here is an intensive form. And at the, sound, at the risk of sounding redundant, Paul is, is praying that you would be filled with the full knowledge of God's will. That knowledge comes only from the Holy Spirit, as the text goes on to say. It says, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Those same words were used centuries earlier by the prophet Isaiah as descriptors of the Holy Spirit who would rest upon the coming Messiah. Isaiah 11 verse 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Paul, in essence, is praying that they will be filled by the Spirit with the full knowledge of the gospel. Now, that same Spirit that was alive and working in the life of Jesus is also alive and working in you. And He's filling you with the full knowledge of the gospel. It should go without saying that if a vessel is full, there's not room for anything else, right? <clears throat> but the, the opposite is also true. If you're full of something else, there might not be room to be filled with the gospel. Maybe we need to empty ourselves a bit <clears throat> so we can be filled with a full knowledge of the gospel. <clears throat> but when you are so filled, it will show in your life. Our Lord Jesus said it's out of the overflow of the heart <clears throat> that the mouth speaks. And so our second point today, and this is the one we'll be camping on, is this. <clears throat> Pray for a faithful gospel overflow. Fuller gospel inflow, faithful gospel overflow. The text says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Now the word walk is often used in the Bible as a, a metaphor for a person's lifestyle. Uh, a manner worthy of the Lord, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, does not mean that, that we can earn God's favor. Uh, rather, <laughs> Well, that would contradict the gospel of grace, wouldn't it? That we could somehow earn God's favor. The whole point of the gospel of grace is that we can't earn God's favor. We need God's favor, which is, that's what grace is, undeserved favor. But when it says a manner worthy of the Lord here, we need to read worthy in the sense of fitting or appropriate. In other words, <clears throat> Uh, we, we, uh, we can never earn God's favor, but we can and must express that favor 
in and through our lives. So you see, this is the overflow of the gospel that's working in, in our lives. Uh, fully pleasing to Him. Again, that's impossible in our, in our own strength. The Bible says that those who are in the flesh, that which is in the flesh, cannot please God. But by contrast, what does Jesus say? I always do what pleases Him. We can't please God. Jesus always pleases God. But Christ in you, friends. Christ dwelling in you through, through the Spirit, by the power of the Gospel, enables you to live a life that is pleasing to God. Now, the text gives four examples of how the overflow of the gospel shows in our lives. But one thing I can't resist, <laughs> I, I just can't resist pointing out before we go there, is that the phrase bearing fruit and increasing in verse 10 is applied to believers. But the very same phrase in the original was applied to the gospel back in verse 6. And the obvious implication here is that it is the gospel that is bearing fruit and increasing in and through us. Notice how the phrase is further qualified as we come down in, into verse 10. We're, we're, told that we're, we're told about bearing fruit in every good work. Again, we are not saved by good works. But we are saved for good works. Preposition is really important there. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, it's by grace that you're saved. Through faith. That's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works so that no one can boast. But the next verse says this. For we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Bearing fruit. That's the fruit of the gospel. Bearing fruit in every good work. It goes on to say increasing in the knowledge of God. The second, the second example he gives. Not only bearing fruit but also increasing in the knowledge of God. Now we all know the difference between knowing about someone and knowing that person personally. Right? Uh, it helps to know a person better if you know something about the person, but simply knowing facts about a person doesn't mean that you really know that person. And so it is with God, friends. Uh, theology, I love theology, it's great. It can tell, it can give you a great deal of information about God. But unless that knowledge about God is converted into a personal knowledge of God, it's not really going to do much in your life and in your relationship with Him. Knowing God. Christian growth is, is in large part knowing God better. That's why Peter said at the end of his second letter, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory forever and ever. Now, Paul probably knew Christ a whole lot better than most people. And yet, he still writes in Philippians as he gives this great aspiration. I want to know Him. This thirst 
to know God better. And that's what he's praying for the Colossians as well. Increase in the knowledge of God. And that's what you can be praying for others. This gospel overflow to be in their lives. Increasing in the knowledge of, of God. Third example, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Uh, just in case you thought you were living the Christian life in your own strength, Paul piles up the synonyms, strength, power, and might to show you that it doesn't come from you. This strengthening is passive. It comes from outside of ourselves, being strengthened. It's comprehensive with all power. It's divine according to His glorious might. And this divine, comprehensive empowerment is especially designed to produce two things in you. <laughs> Endurance and patience. Endurance gives you the idea of keeping going when weighed down by difficult circumstances. Anybody had a hard year? We need endurance, right? We need endurance. Patience, on the other hand, implies a certain serenity or calmness of mind during tough times. It means that we're not easily ruffled, that we keep our, our cool. I need prayer for that. You know, there are plenty of people who display endurance and patience without divine empowering. When the going gets tough, the tough get going, right? Or our British friends like to speak about keeping a stiff upper lip. Uh, but notice that endurance and patience here are not mere stoic acquiescence. They are accompanied by joy with all endurance and patience with joy. That makes it supernatural. <laughs> that makes it supernatural. Because joyful endurance and patience comes only through divine empowerment. Last example that he gives of this gospel overflow is giving thanks to the Father. Joyful endurance in patience in the Christian life is inextricably linked to thanksgiving. Dour people are not grateful people. But grateful people are joyful people. Why? Because gratitude is the gateway to joy. <laughs> and why are we so grateful? Because of the gospel. So the apostle brings us full circle. Thanking God for the gospel. God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God has reserved for you a place in heaven. Isn't that something to be grateful for? Uh, I, like to, I like to think of it this way sometimes. You know what? Your worst day in heaven is going to be better than your best day on earth. And on the other, the other side, though, for, for our unbelieving friends, 
is that the best day on earth is as close to heaven as they'll ever get unless they come to Jesus Christ. That should give you a burden for them as well. God has qualified you, qualified us to share in His inheritance in the saints. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. You know, He delivered Peter from a prison cell. But He's done even a bigger miracle in your life. He's delivered you from the domain of darkness, from the power of Satan to the power of God. He's brought you into the kingdom of the Son, of His love. And God through Christ has redeemed us and forgiven our sins. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When you think deeply, as I'm going to ask you to do in a moment as we come to the Lord's table, but when you think deeply about what God has done for you in Christ, you too will gush forth an outburst of thanksgiving. And that gratitude will be the gateway to joy in your life, even in some of the most trying circumstances that you'll ever face.